Hello! Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Star Trek podcast. Hold up. Stardate 981-41.12. I think that's the proper way I'm supposed to actually start this. Welcome to Star Trek Discovery Pod, a podcast about how you sometimes need to mess with your own DNA and add a little bit of tardigrade juice, maybe, Mm -hmm. and become one with a bunch of mushrooms. I'm the captain for tonight, Grant Davis, and with me on the microphone, on my view screen, is me, Mariah Gossett, and me, Clyde Haynes. Mike Garcia is unfortunately out on an away mission this week, but we'll be back soon. And just a reminder, we go live on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, all of them at 9 p.m. Central on Thursdays. So if you are interested in listening you know, beyond our audio-only version, come join us. Join us on there. You can uh, join us in the chat. You can type in your little thoughts and questions and and comments, and we can see them as we're going. If we, you know, take the time to look over there and see, oh, it's <laughs> oh, a lot comments. of comments. Um, tonight, we're going to be doing a deep dive into one of our favorite astromycologists, Lieutenant Commander Paul Stamets, as we patiently await Star Trek Discovery Season 3. Come on, Season 3! Come here, you audio latency and rendering times. That's a remote recording music composition joke for anyone who's paying attention. (laughs) As always, uh, just a few reminders and announcements before we go ahead and get started so that we don't forget to tell you about them because we're too busy nerding out on our spore drives. Yes. So first up, we are raising funds again this month for July from our Patreon. This time we're going to be raising money for the Okra Project and the Central Texas Food Bank. So thank you, patrons. You're already contributing, but you can add even more if you like or if you're not a patron and you want to help us out so we can make the biggest possible impact. Please visit donate.startrekpod.co to help us pool all of our resources and help get these great organizations the biggest donation possible. So just a little bit about the orgs, if this is your first time tuning in. Uh, The Okra Project seeks to address the global crisis faced by black trans people by bringing home-cooked, healthy, and culturally specific meals and resources to black trans people wherever they can reach them. And the Central Texas Food Bank provides more than 39.2 million pounds of food to families in need last year, um, and they assist an average of over 200,000 individuals each year month. So again, you can help us raise as much money as possible by visiting donate.startrekpod.co. And for all of you live viewers out there, I just want to remind you to tag at Star Trek Pod or type capital P, capital O, capital D, capital pod in your comments, in front of your comments, and that will help us see them so that we can mention your comment or answer your questions a little later on in the show. Um, and tonight, we want to know what's your favorite Stamets moment. Do we like Stamets more post-tardigrade DNA or pre-tardigrade DNA? So we're looking forward to, to hear some of those comments from all of you. And if you guys are watching over here on YouTube, you will see that I was busy eating some sausage <laughs> pizza, sausage and garlic pizza from next door. I didn't eat all day. I was hungry. I muted, I muted the mic while I did that. Thank and, you uh, for that. From time to time, those are just some of the perks you get if you watch us live, I guess. <laughs> you get to in-depth knowledge of our eating and drinking habits. <laughs> but I think it's time for us to do a little bit of hot breaks. Hot, hot breaks! breaks. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Did you want to do it? 
No, I was just going to do it so you didn't have to do it twice. Hold up. Since you uh, were full of cheese pizza. <laughs> I'm full of cheese pizza. Let me do this again. So uh, we'd like to do a little thing called uh, Hot Freaks. Hot Freaks. Yeah. Ooh. All right. Hot Freaks on Paul Stamets played by the multi-talented Anthony Rapp. Sir Anthony Rapp? Is he, uh, has he been knighted yet? I do should not believe we, he's Shall been we knighted. knight him? I think we should. In my head, he's always been knighted. <laughs> he is knighted. It's a, it's a good name for a knighting, I think. Sir Anthony Rapp. It's a good uh, night for a knighting. So who wants to kick things off? Who has their first impressions? I can go for it. Um, you know, I... Well, one, I have to say, as like a member of the greater LGBTQIA community, this character is very near and dear to my heart. So that's like my first major impression. And I know we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Um, but I think it's such a fun character. He's like part science nerd, part sort of like, you know, if they're, he's not an evil maniacal character, but there's that like maniacalness that sort of boils underneath everything that I enjoy. It's like mischievous almost. Um, and I, I have to say as you know, I've been doing a rewatch from season one to help sort of calm my desires for a season three. Um, Watching how he transitions from before the tardigrade DNA to his current sort of situation, he sort of like mellows out. It's like, oh, the mushrooms are doing some work like on <laughs> your whole system here, bud. That's some therapy right there. That is some <laughs> deep therapy uh, on a microbial level. But I think he's a really fun character. I enjoy how smart he is. I enjoy uh, the way he interacts with the other characters. I like his relationship with Tilly a lot. I think they bounce off of each other very well. And I think he really helps drive a lot of the plot forward, especially through season one and season two. And I'm really excited to see what happens in season three. Yeah, I'll jump in and say I like Stamets quite a bit um, for a number of reasons. One, um, I, I just think that that he brings this missing piece to the group. And I can't quite put my finger on what exactly it is, because it feels like it's a whole bunch of stuff. But I feel like typically in these in sci-fi shows, you've got this character that is a little unorthodox, but smart, but kind of weird, but also provides kind of something extra, but that's not what Stamets does, though doing all of that. I know, I'm like talking in circles. But what I look at and go, what we see is we see someone who actually coaches kind of the junior members of of the the team, right? So we see someone who's actually coaching Tilly, who's there, but not doing it in a Saru kind of way, but doing it kind of in like, you know, I'm going to put you in challenging situations and I'm going to push you and I'm not going to expect anything less than your best. And when you think you can't do it, I'm going to push you even harder because I know. Um, and and there's I think you need that type of character in this group. Right. Someone who ultimately is so full of passion and emotion um, that it in, it just infects everybody else. It's kind of like there would be a huge chunk of of potential of greatness of what they could be um, that would be missing if he wasn't there. And so I think when when we see him interact with with everyone with this razor sharp wit, right, this unyielding kind of momentum of carrying uh, the crew forward, 
Um, you know, I, I think it's amazing. And I, I've tried since the beginning of the show to try and pigeonhole Stamets into our former character, right? Like, I think we, we often want to look at the crew and go, okay, well, this is the Riker, this is the Tuvok, this is the Spock, right? And really figure out who they are. Um, and for a while, I was like, okay. So when I see Stamets, what I'm really getting at is this is the engineer of the ship, right? This is the Scotty, the Geordi, this is that type of character. And I was like, no, that's not it either. And I think what we're, we're seeing with Stamets is a new archetype of character, and I'm loving it. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. Uh, I, I think what I gravitate toward about the character is, you know, the, the, the initial impression that he's, he's kind of crotchety. He's a little bit, a little bit quirky. He's, he's set in his ways and he's quick to snap at people that, that come into his bubble. He's obviously put upon because he, he is a, a scientist to the core who does not like the fact that he's working on a military vessel and his, his lifetime's work is potentially being used for purposes that he's not okay with, not, not fully on board with. So as we come to kind of understand the character, um, I, I love that this is our first impression of him, that he's, he's going to stand on principle and he's going to you know, let people know a piece of his mind if, if he's not okay with, you know, people's actions. He's, he's a person who's got a code, a man with a code. And as as things evolve, I think the development of his relationship with Culber um, from getting getting glimpses of a nice, healthy relationship that is lost. And then, I mean, he seemed among this crew to be a particular character who was in a pretty healthy and stable relationship outside of, you know, um, being forced, in, uh, conscripted into this military vessel, essentially. Um, but that seems to be a little bit at odds with the rest of the crew. And a lot of what discovery seems to be about is, um, these, all these lost souls, these lost characters who are discovering a new set of family guys. Is that cheesy enough? Um, but him him being kind of stripped away for, of his relationship with Colbert and then re reuniting but not having what he, he had lost and just sort of trying to regain that or re-explore how to either re-court that relationship or, or realign his expectations for it, I think is one of the most fascinating things. I mean, Anthony Rapp has been given a a a difficult set of, of story plot points to kind of navigate. And he, he does it in, in such a way that is immediately endearing and you root for him. Well, all this, all, all at the same time, he gets some amazing comedic moments with uh, the exploration of the mycelial network and mushroom tripping and all of that. I mean, he's just such a fu fun character. He's a great part of the team and I'm excited this week that we are going to get to talk about him. Yeah. And I, I appreciate Anthony Rapp's performance in that he is learning about this character, like along with the audience, right? I was um, reading an interview with him back from when season one premiered 
about how, you know, there isn't that moment for this character that he's in, he's not in on any secrets that we don't know. Right. So like Mm -hmm. all of these experiences that he's having on this ship is all of the same. He's following them with his character. You know, he has the backstory of being this passionate scientist who has sort of begrudgingly joined Starfleet because he needs the funding to perhaps change the way all transportation is done in space. Right. And it's unfortunate that it's happening during the Klingon war and, you know, apparently still (laughs) in uh, this decade, the military still has the most amount of money. So that's where the funding is going to come from. Um, So he's put into this situation, but he is learning and growing um, you know, the actor is is following this character along the same time that we are. And I appreciate that in the performance because I think you really get to see all of those emotions really carry over from episode to episode. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we watched this flow as you were sort of talking about Grant from him being in this, you know, sort of in as healthy of a relationship as we can tell, right? Like seemingly healthy relationship. And then... um you know, he thinks he's lost his spouse. But there's also the moment when he goes sort of banana cuckoo insano when he can't, like, function after so many jumps. And, like, Culber thinks he's losing his partner. And so they go through these, like, arches of loss with each other, which I think only deepens that sort of desire to be together. So then when Culber is, you know, quote, killed by Ash Tyler... Uh, it's such a deep moment for him to become the the widower of the situation. You know, Burnham even refers to him as a widower at some point. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's such a fascinating arc. I appreciate, and I think you were sort of touching on this, Clyde. You can't really pigeonhole most of the characters on Discovery. Um, and Chris Rogers made this comment on YouTube. You know, a lot of these characters feel contemporary and realistic. And, and I agree. I think all of them are written to be characters we can identify with now in a more modern television show. Right. Yeah. Um, it's, there's, there's something really grounded about the, the humanity, the, the believable reactions to things, the um, at times vulnerability that, that can be shown uh, about situations that, that you're, I mean, I, I think that I, I saw, I saw that they played with this a little bit with, um, you know, characters like like Bones um, from the original series, or at least from the movies that I watched, uh, where you you have someone who who also like Bones uh, has has this kind of defensiveness, this this guard that they put up, this exterior. They they lash out at people sometimes. They're they're not um, always kind and gentle with their approach to everyone so much as they care about principle and, and being straightforward. And, um, I, I mean, that's what we've gotten to see a lot with how, how Stamets is. He's, he's a firm believer in, in what is his, his craft and his calling. And he's dedicated a lot of time to it. And maybe he's a little bit, um, territorial with, uh, like Burnham at, at first. And, and rightfully so. I, I think like I, I, it's it's really interesting to go back and think about those earlier episodes. How you're getting presented to a character 
um, as you peel peel back the layers and kind of have a deeper understanding of what that world is that you're kind of being thrust into. And you guys might have had a little bit more of a, of a leg up on me as far as what the world of Trek is, but you know, it, it, it's a time of it's a time of war. It's a weird science vessel kind of on the outskirts, and I, I thought he was a great introduction into that world. Uh, him along alongside Saru because um, Lorca was definitely uh, <laughs> not on the level <laughs> with no. with us, the audience, or with Burnham or or anything. But um, he, he and Lorca were were definitely a great. Um, holding hand into this is how everything operates while I think we, as we discussed uh, a couple weeks ago, Tilly was this kind of heart that was immediately going to connect everyone um, with that love and kind of uh, positivity and optimism. You know, I think it's interesting that you mentioned kind of Stamet and Saru because I think what's, what's so fascinating to me is when you look back at, at Trek prior to discovery you see a lot of characters who have a a definite kind of code, right? Like, I don't want to call them one note, but but they have a very particular kind of makeup, right? So you've got the the really dorky engineer, you've got the doctor who's compassionate, you've got the womanizing executive officer or captain, and then throughout the series, we see growth, right? And I'm all for character growth. I love character growth. I want to see character growth. I think what we see with Saru is a lot like that, right? With Saru, Saru is a, like, you know who he is almost from day one, right? Like, we're introduced to him, and he's this straight he's the straight man he's by the book very talented and we see growth of emotion as the series goes on what's fascinating to me about Stamets though and the role that that Anthony Rapp has done is I don't know that there's a character on Discovery that has more emotional changes almost seemingly in an episode let alone throughout the season. Like it's these big, powerful emotions, whether they're negative or positive or confusion. But when we talk about depth of experience and seeing these the human emotion, I don't know that we get more of it than watching Stamets, whether he's upset or whether he's protective or whether he's hurt. Like we see a lot of it. And he and Anthony Rapp does a tremendous job of giving that to us week in, week out, right? And I think that's the difference. When we talk about kind of contemporary, I'm seeing people who aren't always the same. It's like some days he wakes up and he's having a bad day and we get to see that bad day. And that doesn't mean that tomorrow when he wakes up, it's, he's going to be the same. He's going to be different. He's going to be like, you know what? Yesterday was yesterday. I love that. I love that type of depth of character that we that we get to see. Yeah, I agree with you, Clyde. And, and I think what you're when you're touching upon the fact that like in previous Star Treks, I think we really get those like archetypes, right? Mm -hmm. As you were sort of mentioning versus these characters feel like they truly stepped out of a life and then stepped into this ship rather mm -hmm. than the ship is their whole personality in many ways. You know, yes, we get lots of backstory and history of characters throughout Trek, but I think what I've come to really love and appreciate about Discovery and I think what a lot of people you know, maybe liked about Deep Space Nine is we get these larger complex backstories. We get to see the 
the way these backstories affect the characters as we move through the plot points into the future. Um, and an episode that I just recently rewatched is the magic to make the sanest man go mad, the t- Harry uh, Mud time loop episode, which I think is such a great Stamets episode because he is experiencing his crew die over and over and over again. And so by the end of it, it, he feels so much more attached to the rest of the crew because he's essentially lived 50 lives over (laughs) while everyone else just keeps resetting the clock because of his ability to sort of exist on on four dimensions, however they explained it on the show. Um, (laughs) and, And it's one of my favorites because we get to see him have these small moments with Burnham to have these sort of moments with Ash Tyler to have these moments with Tilly. Um, and we get to sort of see that team up really work together, but it's Stamets who's at the core of it because he's the only one who knows what's going on. Um, and I love when he has that moment with Burnham when he says, I need you to tell me a secret, something that if I tell you, you know that what I'm saying to you is true. And it's the fact that she's never been in love before and he sort of takes that moment as like, okay, screw this loop. We're going to dance for science. You know, he's like, dance with me for science. And it's sort of that nice, it's such a sweet moment where you see him being like, I need to just have this moment with Burnham and it doesn't matter because we're going to reset again in 30 minutes. You know, it was, it was really sweet and I really enjoyed that episode a lot. It's a yeah. good episode. I I think another thing that um, we uh, we should definitely talk about his relationship with Culber and um, you know I, I don't know if ha- have they explored gay relationships in Trek in other iteration in earlier iterations. So this is the first openly gay char- regular character. Um, like I know they kind of retconned uh, w- what's his name um, Sulu. Sulu, uh, yes. Kelvinverse, I think. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so this is the first, uh, according to as many, I tried, I was like, I got to triple check because I know <laughs> if we get this wrong. But it said, uh, Stamets along with his partner Culver are the first openly gay regular characters in a Star Trek television series. So they did make sure to point that out. Um, Brian Fuller, the OG showrunner show said, you know, uh, Star Trek always had a wonderful expression of diversity in its cast, and we're continuing that tradition. Um, the Red Angel Stamets becomes the first Star Trek character to specifically refer to himself and also describing Culver, Culber as gay. Um, and we also get the first mention of pansexuality from Giorgio between Stamets, Culber, and her in the Mirrorverse. <laughs> so we we get all of it all the way around. <laughs> Um, I would just like to point out this comment oh. from Kern saying that they want Stamets' toothbrush from this scene that we're showing, uh, if you're watching YouTube, where they're brushing their teeth together, is disgusting. You don't want someone else's toothbrush? <laughs> don't say that. I mean, hey. I the, think you want. <laughs> the toothbrushes might be cool, but I want those jammies. I mean, that that's a, I like that shirt. They're cute. This is the first time we also have ever seen toothbrushing in, in Star Trek. Because we've seen, I know in Voyager, they have, like, scenes with um, them, like, taking these weird, like, showers where essentially they stand in front of this, like, screen that just takes all the dirt off of your body. (laughs) Weird. Yeah. (laughs) 
It's like a dry clean kind of thing. Yeah, you just like stand there and it like it looks that I guess it must be warm. I I, I don't know why I have this very specific memory of <laughs> of Torres taking a shower. Isn't there something just that kind came of... out all wrong? <laughs> I know, it was that so came bad. Out all wrong. Isn't it right, a little bit disappointing on... to you guys that uh we'll be was it another uh 150 years into the future or something? We'll still, we have still to brush, to brush our, our teeth, teeth like this. Yes, just I was manually. just thinking that. Come on. You know. But they don't have to scrub. They just like hold it there and it must like just get rid of all the plaque. It know? should just be like you put a paste in your mouth real quick, <laughs> you pull it out, and you're done. I think We're... they look like the all black uh, like Quip toothbrushes. <laughs> so Quip, if you're listening <laughs> and want to sponsor our podcast. Be- become a sponsor. <laughs> Quip toothbrushes, everyone. <laughs> Um, yeah, but uh, I, I thought that, you know, the the relationship that we get, we, we don't get it um, in very many episodes before Culber's demise, but we we do see this kind of closeness, this maturity, this this respect for each other's position that they have both, they both are hard workers who have achieved a really high-ranking position on this elite starship, and they just mesh together. Everything works, which makes it all the more heartbreaking when he loses him and and then when he regains Culber and Culber has no recollection of this life shared with him and like how how many different heartbreaks you have to kind of go through i think i think that's one of the biggest tragedies that we've seen a, a character kind of endure on here or at least like continual there, there's something about the the distance of losing other people and um, in war or like losing family or something versus your spouse that you are with day in, day out on the same ship, losing them and then having them come back and not remember you. Well, I, I think that's one of the, re- that is one of the reasons why I love that. When I, when you asked about a favorite moment or I asked about a favorite moment, um, it's that when you think about that emotion, Right. The losing your significant other, the love of your life, losing that person. And we basically had to watch Stamets go through the grief and the mourning. Right. To experience all of that. Then he gets him back. And then we have to watch him again. Like not like it's it was it's fool's gold. Right. It's oh. Wow, what a miracle, yet no, now I can see it but can't touch it. What I love is I felt every moment of that, right? Like, it wasn't just, sometimes, especially with sci-fi shows, when they touch on this type of um, emotional kind of work, it can almost be secondary to the science. And, And I didn't feel that here. I felt the emotional work being done between these two characters. Yeah, and I'm and I mean props to Wilson Cruz and to Anthony mm-hmm. Rapp for their portrayals of of these very complex emotions because it's it's definitely a could be soap opera esque plotline, but is instead not treated that way, which I really appreciate. And I do know there was like some backlash to them killing off um, Colber because it is very much in pop culture tropes like you can never have more than one gay character and like the barrier gaze trope the barrier gaze yeah, trope right. and so 
you know, I'm glad that they brought, I, I mean, when you watch Wilson Cruz, you know, you're not going to get rid of Wilson Cruz. Like, come on now. Like, <laughs> yeah, but they fooled us there for a minute. I, they, I was like, they did for, fool us. They for, dropped Giorgio and then they dropped Cruz. And you're, yeah. You're like, whoa, what are they doing here? I, I was thinking like, what the hell is going on? And then they, you know, they worked it out. Yeah, so I'm glad they brought it back, and I'm glad it was. It felt like it was meant to propel the plot forward rather than it just being a we're going to mess with the psychology of this character. Do you know what right. I mean? Like, it felt more mm-hmm. purposeful, which I do appreciate. Um, even though, you know, we could just stop killing gay characters, that would also be nice. <laughs> you know, I, I think um, this in part feels like part of the, um, the trappings of, of a Brian, Brian Fuller project. Uh, you get a couple trademark Brian Fullerisms um, in the, the the killing of characters for you know uh, for stakes, um, and then the fascination with mushrooms with yes. with mycology or let's take it up a notch astromycology. Uh, I remember watching Hannibal, and you know you could see there was a, a murderer that had a big to do with mushrooms as well. And you can see that Brian Fuller was just kind of like into this whole mushroom thing. Um, and being able to take the work of Paul Stamets, I'm thinking this is Brian Fuller, who was all about uh, uh, ushering in the... Um, the the mushroomness and the, the name? mushroomness and Paul Stamets. But, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, it just, it, it seems to fit. Uh, but, you know, uh, bringing in that he would work with this, with with mushrooms to map out that this is some theoretical m- m- manner of, of instantaneous travel across space and time is kooky and not a thing that I expected to necessarily get from uh, a Star Trek show. But I love it. I love it. And I love the, the, the ways that um, Stamets' character um, kind of delves into this pseudoscience it's like uh the show fringe in a way where <laughs> well it's it's not totally pseudoscience so right. uh the the real paul stamets who is an actual like mushroom like fanatic i think it's the, the best term for him has a really good ted talk on like the ways mushrooms could save the world like from them like cleaning up oil spills um, I don't know if the other Brian Fuller show you're talking about, if it's like the mushroom, um, like body uh, eating. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You can train mushrooms to eat bodies, yeah. um, which is also a real thing. Um, I uh, I used to work at an environmental organization, and I had a friend who was who's like on that mushroom admiration level. Is also like every once in a while would just pop in and be like, "Did you know you could trade mushrooms to eat you?" And you're just like, "Okay, <laughs> good to <laughs> why know." Why would I ever want to know that? Yeah, why would I want to do that? I don't but, know how that's useful. Uh, executive producer Aaron Harbert said, um, "You know, while Paul Stamets is named after real life mycologist." Paul Stamets, they actually based a lot of the character around Aaron Harbert's kind of this whole like Stamets is a kind of cranked up version of himself. And when they were writing Stamets, uh, he would just be a lot of like, well, what would I say here? So <laughs> loosely based on himself, which is helpful when you're writing dialogue. <laughs> I, I think the exploration of this mycelial network by Stamets, it, 
in a way it feels like this kind of um this falling into a, a drug addiction a little bit mm. where he he starts he starts doing this like where he uses himself as a vessel to jump them across space and time and then it, it becomes kind of this this I don't know if addiction's the right word but this kind feels of like a desire for for power and not in knowledge you know that almost feels like more correct with his scientific background i don't it, know it would seem but I, I mean i don't think we we get too much of a sense of of him power tripping over it so much as it seems like it it weighs on him and it ends up having a little bit of a destructive element toward him as he continues to do it um i mean he suffers a kind of um glitching in and out of time and and not being able to kind of focus on things until he, he his personality has shifted as a result of of doing this too much whether it's it's a, a psychedelic mellow shroom man or if it's um a, a a deadening of of his his drive for um curiosity and science I, i'm not really sure where it's going to continue to go, I guess, in the next season. I know, because he's kind of out of it when we when the ship goes to make the jump, so we don't really get to see a lot of what his character's um, uh, sort of reaction to this whole thing is going to be as they're jumping this far into the future. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. I saw, when you wrote down, I saw your note that was like drugs. And I was like, what are you talking about? He doesn't do <laughs> drugs. I had no drugs. idea where he was going with that. Yeah, I was like, am I forgetting like a major plot point here? But I, I can see what you're, you're thinking here around the fact that it almost, I think his having this extra ability is almost addicting, right? It's like, I am the last piece of this puzzle currently to this to this giant problem that he has been working on, you know, it, I mean, what a feeling it must've been for a character realization of I have created the biggest possible puzzle and I am the last piece. And, and I think that's a really interesting thing for that character to sort of process in that as he continues to degrade his body by doing these things, he's no longer giving him his mind the time to maybe come up with an alternative, right? Because everything is always so urgent in this timeline. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a really, and then I think it's like, it, it almost comes to light more once jet Reno comes on board, who is so just like whip smart gut feeling rather than head, like overly heady, you know, they're both equally very intelligent, but the jet Reno is just like, I'm going to shove some bubble gum in here and we're going to fix it. Like versus Stamets is like, I have dedicated myself, mind, body and soul (laughs) to my work. And you're putting bubble gum in there. Like, (laughs) I think the, in bringing uh, Tignataro and jet Reno into uh, the fold, to play off of Stamets has has just paid off so well because he's he's got this kind of cold, um, off-putting uh, demeanor in a lot of ways in in his approach to things and and she can be e- equally it, it's a budding of egos and I I think when they they come to blows it's it's just all to the benefit of us the audience. 
Yeah, that that fun engineering triangle of Stamets, Jet Reno, and Tilly is something that I so am clinging on to them having still for season three because they are just so likable but also so different <laughs> as characters. Um, they really play perfect foils to each other, and so I really hope we get to see that into season three. Um, I also just love knowing that uh, so Stamets is the second character to ever drop an F-bomb in Star Trek television history when he echoes Tilly saying that something is fucking awesome. <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to edit that, Mariah. I didn't know you were going to use bad language on beep. this podcast. That's just, There's a beep for you uh, to use. That's unfucking Just scooch it boy. over. <laughs> no, uh, I, I, I agree. I, um, I think having Tig Notaro play off of Anthony Rapp has been phenomenal. And it makes me wonder, like, like what's what's it like being on set with those two? Oh, man. Right? Like, the if you're, <laughs> I know. And if you're around watching them go at it, like, do you just bowl over laughing all the time? You know, do they have to, like, do a second take? Because these two are just, they're so sharp, right? Like, I can imagine it just being hilarious all the time. It's like the dry wit off <laughs> forever. You know, I, I found that in the first season, Stamets was a pretty driving force in a lot of the plot. A lot of it revolved around how the Discovery could use the, uh, well, was first trying to work out what the mycelial network was, and then how they could use it and weaponize it in a way to jump across and insert themselves into particular conflicts. Um, we see that play out a little bit less in the second season. I mean, it's still being employed to jump to the the seven red dots. <laughs> I say that signals, and, and you just signals. go, uh. <laughs> <laughs> but, but um, it, his, his role seems a little bit downgraded in a way, just because there was a lot of different moving parts. And that seems kind of bonkers to me because this seems like some of the most mind-bendingly, like, cutting-edge, change-the-world technology that is sitting on this ship. And they're like, ah, but we got to explore these red dots. I'm like, who, who cares about the red dots? You can jump through space and, and I don't know if they've realized it, time and dimension. <laughs> they jumped into the mirrorverse. And, and the fact that, like, this isn't immediately all like that uh discovery isn't put into a bubble and like immediately examined for how they can replicate this and and make use of it on a galactic scale is weird there's well, i mean because uh, clearly starfleet's aware of it well one grant we needed to fix the uh plot holes as we moved into the original series so that uh had to happen and okay, then fair, um, <laughs> fair, thank you <laughs> practical reasons <laughs> practical reasons and then i think the other thing was that we you know the main reason we even start down this whole chain of events is because of spock and so it's like 
they're on the they're on the search for Spock, which is what sort of sets a lot of these things in motion before we sort of realize that they're really investigating. Always searching for Spock. Yeah, man. it's like, oh, we're gonna go <laughs> check out this random signal because you can jump to it and get there faster than anyone else. And then, oh, P.S. Burnham, your brother has gone a wall, so we're gonna go on that mission as well. Right. I mean, I I get it from <laughs> a plot wise. They've obviously made a big problem for the Star Trek universe for this kind of technology to just be kind of sitting around in this timeline, right? So the thing they got to do is blast it a thousand years into the future. Mm -hmm. I, I get that. But at the same time, I'm like, wouldn't Starfleet just be like, holy heck, we need that right now. Well, then also, you had evil control. I think that's I've ever said, holy heck. Mm -hmm. Holy heck, we had control. Um but yeah, I, I think bringing it back to, to Stamets in his role through season two mm. really became sort of the, you know, his character's always sort of been like a moral compass and I think a few ways, but because we now had the question of morality of using the spore drive when a living being had to be involved and sort of trying to find a way to make that not happen, I felt like was sort of an underlying current mission that was going on as sort of the maybe G-H-L-Q-U-R plot of the season. You know, it was like down on the list, but, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if that's something that they can solve by jumping to the future. Maybe Spore Drives are all the rage in the future and we're going to see what happens. Wasn't well, that no, another... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, no, I, I was thinking about that a lot. Um because, yeah, you've got the whole plot hole thing, right? Like, you've introduced this incredible technology that isn't anywhere else in the canon. So, you know, you've got to either destroy it or jump it a thousand years in the future. So there is that. But I agree that there's also this sense of if you have this technology, which, quite frankly, is probably the best technology in Star Trek history ever, right? Like it's pretty powerful to be able to not only jump anywhere in an instant, but hell, you can jump into another dimension and come back. Um, I'm sorry. I think they can make any ice cream you want. Okay. How is that not the best technology <laughs> I mean, ever? that's kind of the best technology. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, if I, I could I, have a replicator right now, I would have yes. all of all of Grant's pizza. <laughs> <laughs> well, but but the, I guess kind of my point is when you think about that power, right? We are talking about a scientist who was basically kind of conscripted reluctantly into a war, right? What we're seeing is you you almost can't let that technology fall into the hands of the military, right? Because the way it works is once one military has it, all the militaries will eventually have it, right? Not to mention we uncover the fact that just traveling the mycelial network is damaging to the tardigrades themselves. So there's this whole other conundrum. And so what I see in Stamets is Stamets is the guardian of that technology, of 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 that world and not sending us on to a future where you know spore drives are all the rage tardigrades be damned 
and you know we're instantly jumping in and killing each other so he he is the guardian the defender of our morality and our stupidity mariah you brought up a an interesting point with the the moral conundrum of, of using the spore drive and how a line was drawn in the sand it's unethical let's not do it and i don't remember did we address how they uh justified jumping a thousand years into the future like eh, it's unethical but well we i gotta get was, away from control i think it was a portal opened up through the suit wasn't it mm-hmm. oh wait it was it wasn't they didn't jump they used no, a they, portal mm-hmm. oh snap okay yeah um now I'm but, remembering. But I'm trying to, yeah, I think they, it was something to do with physics for why the ship also had to go. I think if I'm remembering correctly, obviously I'll rewatch before we get to season three <laughs> to remember all of the, the science, the Star Trek science-y stuff uh, for why we got to where we are. But yeah, coming back to sort of Stamets being this, I like the idea of him being a guardian, Clyde. I really like that you brought that up and, and how he sees the, potential and the harm that it could it could cause um you know there are the scientists who it's almost it's learning from from history like so many folks don't seem to know how to do anymore um but (laughs) he has learned you know there are scientists who regret working on like the atom bomb Mm -hmm. and seeing like what it eventually caused and while there are advances in technology to things like nuclear power there are still downsides to that you know there it's chernobyl if anyone watched that miniseries <laughs> you got the really graphic first-hand account um so it's interesting to see him playing this scientist who i think is reflecting on history of these large advancements that happen in society and then what repercussions we have because of it um which is something i think star trek plays with a lot i mean they definitely shook their their morality finger at us when we went and saved the whales you know (laughs) so (laughs) um the idea that we have to be more you know be better conservators of our environment and of uh you know the natural world and the things that we work with you know they kind of pepper it in throughout the show even with the like crazy space whale that they bring on board that harry mudd is higher is hiding in Right. You know, they have this like intergalactic endangered species list now. <laughs> and so it's like if we have an intergalactic endangered species and Stamets is seeing what could possibly happen to the tardigrades, these ancient, ancient beings because of this technology. I think that's an interesting, an interesting plot device to use as it moves forward. Fuck yeah. In, in the words of, of uh, Michael Burnham. <laughs> fuck yeah. Um, uh, listeners people that are watching us over on youtube now is the time for you guys to go ahead and chime in with any comments questions um favorite moments with stamets so if you guys could please put the word pod in front of what you uh post to us and that'll be the easiest way for us to uh, see it and bring it up on screen here and while you guys are doing that while you guys are uh thinking of good questions or or, uh, consolidating your thoughts. Uh, I had a question for you guys, which is, no, as we enter season three, what do you guys think will be the storyline for Stamets? Like where, where do we go Mm -hmm. in season three with 
his his potential storyline season three and and maybe even beyond what's the full arc what's the goal of his character i mean i hope we get i like when we get some rom-com moments in star trek so i hope we get a little uh will they won't they with him and culver like what is going to happen to their relationship perhaps they each meet their own different space babes of the future who knows um it, it could be something very interesting to explore there um, to see how their relationship changes. And then I also am excited to see Stamets interact with technology and science of the future and seeing what, you know, he's essentially going to have the opportunity to see what impact his, dis- his discoveries had on the scientific community this far into the future. Like how is he going to be remembered? Will he be remembered? What, you know, they sort of the the way Starfleet closed him out is that he died, you know, so it's like, did he just go out on this big moment that wasn't ever completed? You know, did they write it that way um, or was will his research live on? Um, and then how is he going to be interacting with that in the future? Yeah. You know, Mariah, when you talk about him being kind of the scientific genius on board the ship, it's got me curious about what advances that we've seen. So, you know, things that the the advances that we've seen in TNG and Voyager and, and DS9, what are those things that he's going to be able to quickly understand, reverse engineer, and then innovate off of, mm-hmm. right? Like, I mean, honestly, I, I just kind of thought about this. What in the world would the Discovery crew be able to do with a holodeck? Right? So some of the that technology, you know, um, you know, well, the advanced... They, they sort of had a holodeck, because do you remember that training montage between Lorca and um, Ash Tyler after they come back and they're, mm. like, running drills of, like, pretending to, to kill more Klingons? So was the yeah. first ever holodeck on Discovery? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. But I, I just think it'll be interesting to see, like, the science of it all. I do think there'll be the rom-com. I think there will be a will they, won't they. What we'll find out is whether or not by the end of season three, will there be a resolution or will we just continue with the will they, won't they? Um, I think this is kind of the big love story on Star Trek for us. Um, this is the kind of all the, it'll end up being all the innuendo that we've seen before, right? The Picard and Beverly Crusher and the the Riker and Troy, will they, won't they? It's all that. Um, so I think that's going to be underlining, but it'll be interesting to see what happens with the science and the role that Stamets plays in all that. Yeah, I, I, I think one of uh, my favorite observations you guys just made uh, about Stamets is this idea that he is a scientist first and a very learned one of the of our of our history of when science has been used for evil and him as the guardian of this dangerous technology that they've stumbled across and i mean how how could one you know uh safely implement this technology galactic wide like how could everyone have access to this and it in any way doing anything except pure chaos <laughs> um so for him to carry the burden of knowing that he created um 
the new atomic bomb and that weighing on him and knowing that he needs to go to his grave with the knowledge of what he has made, hide it away from the world, prevent anyone from having access to it. I think that makes a lot of sense for them to explore in the, the upcoming season. And I think that would be really fascinating, especially just how that how that kind of hangs on him when everyone else is like, just one more time, bro. We got need we need one more time. We just need to jump over here and get another fresh slice of pizza. <laughs> All right, let's uh let's jump into some of these uh, comments and questions we got. Here's one from Chris Rogers. I think it's a two-parter. It says, Pod, I think it was a wonderful care of attention that it was Stamets' character and us relying on knowing who he is that was instrumental in addressing the issue of how sport jumping was hurting the environment. We had him as a moral anchor to understand that actually we can't just keep using the sport drive. He's one of... He's one link to the continuity of other series by his personal sense of morals. I like just seeing Clyde peek over the comments <laughs> when they caught him on the screen because they're so big. It's just like, <laughs> <laughs> Thoughts? Um, yeah. I Sorry, I got really distracted by a little sorry. Clyde peeking over the, sorry. <laughs> the comments. Come on. I could not resist <laughs> But yeah, I I um I think that's a an interesting thought and I agree with the idea that um Stamets really is our our sort of um lens into the morality of the mycelial index index, not index network. <laughs> um I, I mean he's basic he's essentially ascended to sort of like God powers, right? <laughs> like th- this I is know, a person when- who's connected yeah. between multiple universes as well as this invisible layer between them and is now the the sole voice for how one how all of us should interact with all of that and that's some power right there yeah when you pulled up that screenshot earlier of him getting you know plugged into the matrix he looks very like uh crucifixy you know mm-hmm. it's very like i am being sacrificed in order for the greater good, you know, which is something we've routinely seen throughout uh, Star Trek, you know, the, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. So. Right. Yeah. I, I, I wonder if that'll continue because part of me thinks that maybe part of his arc will be in the future. There will be no need for it. Right. So then who, who does he become when he's not this sacrificial character or this, godlike or kind of this 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 character this this persona who see who sees more than everything else when he becomes the regular you know astrophysicist what happens to him then yeah that is that's interesting to think about him almost like um you know in greek greek mythology as the um the uh, oh my gosh how am i oracle kind of character Mm. right Mm. because he can sort of he is the moving figure of going forward and backwards and through all these different space dimensions and and in some cases has the ability to see what is in the future so i think that's like an interesting sort of trope to play off of is how often are we going to see him being this sort of soothsayer of it all so uh full disclosure um 
my laptop just died <laughs> on oh. me. Uh, so I can't pull up the questions on the screen, but I do have oh. us on screen right over here as well. So I can, so can read questions still. It's a good yeah. thing. Because I have 2020 vision. Hmm. No bragging. A little bit of bragging. Uh, so the next question or comment comes to us from Chupi, who says, I think that uh, Colbert and Stamets will be back together next season. No, will they, won't they? That was the last season, season two. We'll see a more solid couple than ever before. Love that optimism. That would be nice. I do kind of want to see them going like on dates with other people and like the awkwardness that ensues when you <laughs> like, especially for... I've been in a relationship for this long. Yeah. And domesticated relationship. How do I be yeah, back like, on the prowl? The, the sort of polar opposites that could come from that because Colbert is approaching everything from sort of this new perspective and point of view and knowledge base of his life versus Stamets, who is that like, I have been in a long-term relationship for years and years. And how do you get back in the dating game? I think it could be a little, maybe just give me like one episode where that's like the B plot and I'll be happy. <laughs> what's, what's space Tinder like? I don't even know. <laughs> I, mean, I feel, I feel like they're still in the options. middle. <laughs> they're in the middle of this like post-apocalyptic kind of world where it's going to be tense. It'll be interesting to see if there's even time for dating true it could just be we're going to be with each other because the world is ending and that's how it works in the apocalypse i mean pair up in the apocalypse uh kern kern says uh i wouldn't be surprised now if uh now that they're in the future that they use a spore drive with impunity it's their only tech edge in the universe that's 900 plus years ahead of them in technology which i think is a fascinating point um they might just like go buck wild, like jumping all around to like evade people coming after them with technology they've never even seen before. Or what if they jump and you know how in the previews we got to see that sort of ambassador character? Mm-hmm. What if they're because like the enterprise has been retooled multiple times, right? We got this, we have C, we have D. What if there is a discovery ship? in the future that has even cooler technology and a functioning spore drive. And that's why we eventually get the abandoned discovery ship that we got in the short Trek because she's been left so that people can't find her. I'm also going to refer to the ship as a her, but (laughs) they can't find the ship. And now they're in a brand new discovery ship that they're using to save the galaxy from the impending apocalypse. Interesting. I, I like it, Mariah, because I felt like we got the short track, right? We got this. And there was, a th- there was an episode where I think it was, I don't know if it was Lorca who was running around interacting with the ship. But we've, we've got this sense of this ship as a she and this personality. And I felt like we got these these clips, these moments, and then it was never like spoken about again. Um, and I've been dying to go, well, no, I thought the ship was pretty impressive. What happened there? Right. And so it would be great if now here we are in the future. We do see that the ship becomes a character on the show. Right. Um, even more so than, you know, you know, computer Mm-hmm. that Majel Barrett was so right because in this universe we have you know uh 
this is post all of everything that we've seen happen in Picard. And so there is this sort of allowance of artificial intelligence to sort of thrive. And so what if the ship, you know, even if it isn't a brand new ship, but what if the ship gets plugged in for its updates and we actually don't hit the ignore update button and we get all these cool new features? Uh, I, I thought, you know, piggybacking off of uh, the last question about the spore drive, um, Phil followed up with, um, Phil R said, conversely, what if something has changed in the mycelium over 900 years that makes a spore drive inoperable? Which I think is also, like, it, it could go either way, mm-hmm. but uh, th- this idea that they're already, you know, years in the past, and anything that could give them a leg up, they might need it. Um, and then that, that doesn't even work either. And it was like, Oh, what are we left with? Um, and then just having to be kind of scrappy to, to survive among whatever new world we're about to embark on. Um, let's see. Uh, Kern also said, I hope Grant's pizza is bigger than the one Riker <laughs> made on Nepenthe. That's a Picard reference to bunny corn pizza. Hey, uh, that it definitely would like, tastier. Your slices look about as big as that. <laughs> I, I can't believe I missed the opportunity to call it bunny corn pizza. You oh, missed man. it. You d- Why aren't you dressed up as a bunny corn if you're eating pizza? <laughs> why aren't I just always dressed as a bunny corn? <laughs> always what? bunny corn, forever and always. Um, let, let's head another uh, another one here from Chris Rogers who says... Stamets, to me, represents a kind of moral shift. He was presented as a hard ass with a soft spot for his hubby and trauma and life experience changes his personality and his moral compass. He represents a regular person having to represent something bigger than himself and answering that call. I wonder what season three will bring to that idea of his character. Yeah, I mean, if we're following the the trek of like the Oracle soothsayer, are we eventually going to get the uh, another sacrificial moment for that character? Oh man, what if he just has to like keep dying and coming back? <laughs> I hope it's not that. I'm wondering though if the ship is going to be the sacrifice because we do eventually see that that short where the ship has been abandoned, and if that's your life work and you're eventually going to have to give it up, that would be an interesting sacrifice. I mean, you know, going back to my, my drug reference, <laughs> um, <laughs> the idea that you suddenly get flooded with this, this knowledge and this awareness of another whole dimension, uh, like just, you know, can you imagine us being in the th- third dimension here and then suddenly having to go back to the second dimension Things being a, f- a flat world, a single plane, and that's all, all, all when you know a third dimension exists. Like, how how do you have a person like, like Stamets be exposed to this fourth dimension that he can see? He can jump through, through space like this and this. He can see everything interconnected in that way and then have his mind closed off from that and then just try and, like, go back to a normal life. I mean, um, Grant, it sounds to me like you have never done any psychedelics and maybe <laughs> I'm just, I'm just play. It's um, time. It's time. It's time, uh, for I, you. I think to I see threatened that. to do that this, this, uh, for this episode and I missed my chance. Everything is connected, man. I don't know. It, it could be, <laughs> there are definitely, um, uh, 
you know, I think ways to alter one's perspective and to see how everything can be connected and still come back to the third dimension and have it inform the decisions that you make in the third dimension. Dennis McElwain says, Pod, how will Discovery be able to deal with Warp 13 if it doesn't have the spore drive anymore? It's going to have to get Warp 13. Yeah. Upgrades. What's Warp 13? That's uh, the warp we get in... Um, in Voyager, right? No, it's super fast warp, Grant. Fast, super fast no go, warp. Super go fast warp. That's oh, what I'm this? trying to remember when we get warp thirteen. This warp goes to thirteen. Okay, I got it. They used to only go up to ten. Yeah, cool. Uh, the Enterprise D was refitted for warp thirteen. Do 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 do. All right. Well, Marie Alpha. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I, I think um I think that's about it. I think we're gonna have to hit a hit the wrap it up button here on Stamets. Oh, was that an Anthony Rap joke? Wrap it up. <laughs> nice. Just a little bit. Wrap it up. <laughs> um, I'm gonna let you guys go ahead and close everything out because uh, my computer died. <laughs> oh yeah, you can't read anything. All right. Well, thank you all so much for joining the pod this week. Uh, remember, we will continue to go live every Thursday at 9 p.m. Because as you might have heard, Star Trek Lower Decks is coming and only a few weeks away. So we will be recapping those episodes um, at 9 p.m. Central Time on YouTube on Thursdays. We're also live on Twitch, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, just go to StarTrekPod.co for all of the links of where to live stream on any of those platforms. Uh, next week, we're going to discuss uh, the Voyager Lower Decks equivalent, Good Shepherd. Uh, the synopsis is Captain Janeway goes on an away mission with three troubled crew members in a shuttle. Do you remember this episode, Clyde? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Maybe. That's I know. It's, no. always, it's always been a hot minute. Um, that's, that's, I'm excited. Especially for I, Voyager. You're asking me about Voyager. If you I said know. anything else, I'd be like, I got it. Yeah, Voyager, I got you. I'm thinking, Do you remember this Enterprise episode? episode? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> anyway, I'm excited. It's a good Janeway episode. She gets to play like a sort of like mama bear sort of figure. And she's trying to like fix these subpar crew members that she has because they're stuck out in the Delta Quadrant and can't swap out uh, crummy crew members. They just have to train them to be better crew members. So um, it should be a good episode. Also, uh, make sure to join us on Patreon if you have not done so. Patreon.com backslash Star Trek pod. Uh, We're going to start our coverage of the Kelvin movies. It's taking everything in me not to ask Grant to do the Patreon spill as he stuffs as pizza in his pizza. mouth. I was going to ask him. I was going to be like, Grant, talk about Patreon. And then I, I just saw you shove a crust in your mouth. You think I can't do it? <laughs> Don't do that. Patreon.com slash Star Trek pod. That's where you can go to give us a per episode pledge. Give us $2 an episode and you will be. Hold up. <laughs> You'll be given exclusive access to our private Slack channel. There you can chat with all of our other fellow listeners about all sorts of track cool things. Um, like like Mariah was saying, um, yeah, we're going to be talking about the Kelvin verse on a, 
a new episode coming up, a little private Patreon thing. And uh, yeah, that's patreon.com slash Star Trek pod. We appreciate all of the support you guys have given us thus far. I am. Um, we're humbled by it. In fact, we we know these are, are tough times for everyone. And for you guys to support our little venture, we it means the world to us. It means the galaxy to us. It means the mirrorverse as well. <laughs> All dimensions. All I'm dimensions finish, indeed. I'm finish reading. Look, I just want to say, if you are enjoying our kind of nerd out discussion on all things Star Trek. Um, I just want to remind you to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow us at Star Trek pod, tweet about this episode, tweet about your favorite things about Stamets um, and let us know on, on your socials. Also, as we talk about socials, I just want to shout out to two people who help us so, so very much. Shout out to Karen who runs our Twitter and James Worm who helps out on our Insta. Uh, thank you guys so much. We couldn't do this without you. And again, thank you all so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Star Trek Discovery Pod. Uh, remember, if you can, uh, share some of these episodes on Reddit, especially as we're getting into short treks. Maybe uh, toss in our little discussion about the short treks uh, uh, preview that we saw. Or maybe once we have that first episode out. Or say, hey, this pod's discovery, or, uh, talking about old trek that could maybe relate to lower decks, so they're they're talking about lower decks. They're talking yeah. about lower decks. We're so gonna be talking up. about lower decks episode after, after episode. Do it, do it, do it. So yeah, post it on the Reddit's if you can. Make sure they know about this podcast. Clyde, where can we follow you online and hear more from you? You can follow me at Clyde Haynes on Twitter. You can also get me on the web at www.keyandclyde.com. That's K-E-I and Clyde.com. What about you, Grant? Baron Von Grant, right there, right, right here next to Picard's head. Do it to it. And I'm at Mariah Gossett on all social platforms. That's Mariah with a Y and a Gossett with two S's, two T's. Remember, you can help us support the Ochre Project and the Central Texas Food Bank all July long at donate.startrekpod.co. Thank you again for tuning in. Thank you for dealing with pizza crunches. I'm going to let Grant start walking over to the computer where he has to turn off our live stream. Yeah, you guys flash your your Trek signs. But live long and prosper. We love you guys so much. We're going to awkwardly make signs and dance to no music while Grant goes to turn off the live stream. We love you. Bye. Bye.